Today we continue our study in the book of Acts. If you're new to New Heights Church, we love the Bible. And our intent every Sunday is that God would speak to us through his word. So we keep to his text. In fact, we believe that it's God's way of exercising his authority in this church. This is his church. It's not my church. It's not the board's church. It is God's church in the way that we allow him to have the, the, uh, or exercise his authority to speak to you is through his Bible. So we go verse by verse. And uh, like I said, this week we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 3. And today, God willing, we're looking at verses 4 through 13, but it's, it's a possibility that we are in verse four for quite a while. Don't be discouraged. Don't be looking at your clock thinking he's never gonna end. We are gonna end today because we wanna give a opportunity for an altar call. So I recently heard one of my favorite preachers tell a story about a Native American who came down from the mountains and saw the Pacific Ocean for the first time in his life. It was an amazing sight for this native, and I grew up in Seattle, so I know the sight he's talking about. There is nothing like looking at the ocean. Of course, I grew up in Seattle, so it was something that I took for granted. That's until I moved to the state of Missouri. Then I realized how how good I had it living in Seattle. The, The views that I had every day just driving to school were amazing. And And so after going to school in Missouri, I remember going back to Washington during a break and seeing the side of the ocean, and it was different this time. It was quite a sight, and I took it in. Now, back to the story. This Native American, he comes down from the mountains. He he sees the ocean for the first time, and he's just in awe of it. In fact, he goes down. He starts to slowly wade in the waves. He's enjoying every moment of it. He's just taking it all in. And then he he takes out this little uh, clay jar, and he starts attempting to get water from the ocean in this clay uh, clay jar. And when he managed to get some water in the jar, he then put the lid on it. Someone who was with him said, man, what are you doing? He smiled and he said, well, my people who are up in the mountains have never seen the great waters. So I'm going to bring this jar full of the great waters back to them so that they might understand what it is I'm experiencing. (laughs) Can Can you imagine that? Nobody is ever going to understand what he's experiencing by looking at some dinky clay jar full of salt water. Now, my favorite preacher who shared this story said that he feels like this, like this Native American when he has to preach on the Holy Spirit. When he attempted to cover this vast, immeasurable subject of the person of the Holy Spirit, he just felt like it was so difficult for him to really just teach it all. And, and I'm going to be completely honest with you today. I feel the same way. can relate to that preacher. He said he felt like he has a little jug with a little bit of water in it. He's trying to show people what it's like and pour it out. Not just show people, but to help them understand what he's trying to understand himself. So today in our, our short time together... <laughs> I'm going to approach this subject because it's in the Bible and it's so important. But I'm going to approach it with humility knowing just how much I need the help of the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do, to bring clarity to God's word so that we can apply the truth of this narrative and receive all that God has for us today. So before we dig into the text, will you join with me in prayer? Father, we come to you today. We acknowledge the fact that we, we desperately need the Holy Spirit today, looking at uh, something that's brought so much disunity to the church, and yet the gift of the Holy Spirit was supposed to bring us together. 
So God, I pray today that each of us would humbly come before you and and your holy word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak directly to us. God, we want life transformation and we want all that you have for us. And so we pray that you would do that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, before we go any further, I want to recap just a little bit from last week. Jesus had gone back to heaven. He said it was good that he had to go because if he went, the Holy Spirit would come. The arrival of the Holy Spirit is crucial in the story of redemption, just as important as the birth of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the beginning of a new chapter in God's story of saving humanity. That's the God we serve, by the way. He loves us and wants to save us. And, and we read in verses one through three about this amazing experience. And again, uh, as we study the Holy Spirit, I want to remind you that it's important that we lay a strong doctr- doctrinal foundation. Because this, is, this subject is a subject that in many places has divided the church. Because in many places we find pursuing the gift over the giver. We find people who want to chase experience And by the way, God does give us experiences. He does. The Holy Spirit's involved in that. There are times and experiences that I've had with the Holy Spirit that I don't even know how to explain even if I had to. He does that. But we shouldn't be chasing experience over the truth that's found in God's word. Sometimes if you, I'm not looking for anything new in the sense that somebody's come up with it. They have this new meaning to a text. They've discovered something new that's never been discovered before. If that's the case, you should be weary. This Bible is so full of amazing truths that we can spend the rest of our life soaking it up, okay? If our experiences don't match God's word, then there's a problem. And I'll tell you, there are some really exciting aspects of the Holy Spirit. I mean, some amazing, exciting things that more often than not we don't experience because we're too afraid to let the Holy Spirit move. There seems to be two camps here, right? The book of Acts is all about that exciting stuff. I'll I'll tell you that. But it's important that we lay a strong doctrinal foundation. Paul tells us that in the last days there will be people who have itching ears that will not endure sound doctrine. That isn't the case here at New Heights Church, and I'm thankful for it. Amen? We want to know and experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we all need them. But it's so important that we have a solid scriptural doctrinal base for all that is said and all that is done. Now, as we approach this text, I just want to, I want to address the elephant in the room, okay? Does New Heights Church believe it, the gift of tongues is for today? Now, before I approach this, I want you to know I'm a part, we're an Assemblies of God church. So if you're familiar with the Assemblies of God church, you're going to know what the answer to this is. But I want you to know that there's a lot of churches that you could attend within the Assemblies of God denomination and never hear anything about speaking in tongues or never hear anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of people are so afraid of how people are gonna look at that that they, that they just avoid it altogether. In fact, some of my favorite preachers, some of my favorite preachers in my own movement, I went to, to look for resources and even ones who preach verse by verse and it's just amazing because this part of uh, Acts is not a part of their sermon series. 
We don't do that. We preach verse by verse. We're going to address every single topic in the Bible. But does New Heights Church believe that the gift of tongues is for today? And there are two positions on this. One is called sensationism, and it teaches that certain supernatural, miraculous gifts ceased around the turn of the first century after the Bible was completed after it was completed in its writing. The other is continuationism, and and that's that all of the supernatural spiritual gifts continue until today, until this day uh, they have not yet ceased. So now we looked a little bit at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I want to look at that again, but I want you to know this, that we agree with cessationists that there will come a time when certain spiritual gifts cease. Keep listening to me. For example, Let's talk about the gift of evangelism. You think you're going to need that in heaven. You think you're going to need the gift of evangelism. How how many of you are evangelists, by the way? This is a gift that the Bible describes. I'm married to one. Now, my wife hates to come up here. I have to, every Mother's Day, I have to force her to come up and preach. She absolutely hates getting in front of a crowd. She doesn't like to do it, and I have to push her and force her to do it and say, Liz, you're going to do great. You're going to do awesome, but she hates it. She doesn't want to get up in front of a crowd. But my goodness, she has led more people to Jesus than I have uh, my entire, just one year, she's probably led more people to Jesus than I have. I will take Liz, and sometimes to my uncomfort, I will take Liz into a Starbucks, and before you you know it, we were just going to buy a frappuccino, and before you know it, every barista is on their knees asking Jesus to come into their life because Liz has the gift of evangelism. She's just an evangelist. Can't go on an airplane with Liz because guess what? She's going to lead somebody to Jesus. She's not, she just has that gift. She's very led by the Holy Spirit, and she, she has the gift of evangelism. But when we get to heaven, the gift of evangelism is not going to be needed like it is now. Because in heaven, you're going to have a hard time finding someone who's not saved. Do you following me? There aren't any lost people in heaven. Everybody is already going to love Jesus. So evangelism comes to an end. So those with the gift of evangelism are going to need to find something else to do in heaven. Nobody's going to be walking the streets of gold handing out tracts. <laughs> okay? So we agree with the sensationists that certain gifts will come to an end, like the gift uh, of evangelism and uh, the gift of healing, right? Because no sickness will be in heaven. Thank God. Come on. So we agree that, yes, certain gifts will cease. Where we disagree with the sensationists is we agree that with the continuationists. We believe that all of the gifts continue until one very important trans- transition takes place in the history of the world. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read it again to you. Verses 8 through 12, it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We talked about this a little bit last week. When we read about it here in 1 Corinthians, we we see love never ends. We get that, right? Certain spiritual gifts are are not going to be needed in heaven, but love continues forever. So even when the gifts end, the love continues. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, that could be either heavenly or earthly. Uh, They will will what? They will cease. And again, uh, the position is cessationism, that they believe that this has ceased, that it's not for today. 
But my question is, is when does it cease? When does, when does tongues conclude? When is it over, right? What's the, uh, what's the expiration date on the box for tongues, as, as Pastor Mark Driscoll would say? When's it over? Was it over in the first century? Um, or is it not over yet? What's, what's the answer? Well, let's read the book that the Holy Spirit wrote. It says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The sensationists then say, and the perfect is the perfect word. Excuse me, the perfect word of God. So now that we have the perfect word of God, we don't need certain supernatural, miraculous, spiritual gifts. Okay, New Heights Church. Do we believe in the, that the word of God is perfect? Absolutely, yes we do. You hear me say it every single week. I believe that the word of God is perfect. Of course we do. But the perfect being spoken of there is not the conclusion of the writing of the Bible. Read with me. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Oh, so the perfect has a face. Perfect has a face. Well, who are we talking about now then? I think, I think you all know who the perfect is. It's the Sunday school answer that you can't go wrong with, right? The perfect is Jesus. The perfect guy is Jesus. And if we're seeing him face to face, well, that means we're in heaven. So when do these gifts cease? When? When, when Jesus comes back, when we see him face to face. So the sensationists are right, certain gifts will come to an end, but the sensationists are wrong, the end has not yet come. And the continuationism is right, all the gifts continue until we see him face to face, until Jesus comes again. That's what we believe here at New Heights Church. Now, with that being said, let me tell you this. If you're up, you're sitting in your seat and you're disagreeing with what I'm saying here, that doesn't have to, to, it doesn't mean you have to leave our church, Okay? I know a lot of, a lot of uh, wonderful believers that may disagree with me on this, and I'm okay with that. But this is what I believe, this is what New Heights Church believes, and we practice this. So it says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What he says is between now and then, we're gonna have a lot of questions that go unanswered. But when Jesus comes back, it's gonna all make sense. It's gonna all be cleared up. It's all, it's all gonna make sense. So you're struggling, you're suffering believers, and he would say, be a persevering believer. When you see Jesus face to face, everything is going to make sense. Persevere to the end. It's all, all gonna come together. You just gotta hang in there. You gotta be patient. You gotta live by faith until your faith becomes sight and you see him face to face. So we do believe that the gift of tongues and all the gifts continue until this very day. It's absolutely what we believe here at New Heights Church, okay? Now, what happens is some will, some will say this, and, and I've been here before, but those gifts, they're abused. They're abused, Pastor Justin, I'll agree with you. My goodness, they are abused. I 100% absolutely agree with you. They're abused. Tongues and prophecy are misused and abused, so we really should get rid of them. Told you, I agree, there are abused sometimes. I have grown up in the Assemblies of God. I am a fifth generation Assemblies of God pastor. And unfortunately, I could tell you story after story after story where this has been abused. And the, the, the effects that it leaves, they're devastating. It's devastating. I, at, at 18 years old, had to come to my own conclusion if I believe this or not because I saw such abuse growing up challenged me and then you know I went to a Baptist high school so I was hearing a different view and I had to come come to this place where I didn't care what mom and dad had taught me 
I didn't even care what I was taught in Sunday school. I had to come and I had to figure out the truth for myself. And I had to go back to the text, not base the text on my own experiences or even view the text through the lens of my own experiences. I had to come to the text and I had to come to the conclusion, what is the text teaching? Yes, there's been abuse. I'll be the first one to say that. However, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. All spiritual gifts have been used, abused, and misused. An example, the gift of teaching. Guess what? Just go to YouTube. There's a lot of bad teaching out there. A lot of bad teaching. And the answer's not, well, there's bad teaching, so let's just get rid of teaching, the gift of teaching. The answer needs to be, there's been horrible, terrible, bad teaching, so let's have Bible teaching. Right? If gifts have been misused, they should not be rejected. They should be used biblically to give God's people a faithful alternative. So we don't, we don't want to just have the gifts. We want to use them in a way that the Holy Spirit governs according to the scriptures that he has written. Amen? And last week we, we looked at, we, we talked about some exciting things that happened when the Holy Spirit came and then we stopped at verse 4. We looked at verses 2 or 1 through 3. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Uh, and we talked about the, the, the miracle of the, the day that it, God chose to usher in the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. Verse 2, it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Notice that, they were sitting. Verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So there actually wasn't any real wind flaming tongues of fire, but it was just the sound of wind. I mean, think about it. If it was fire, the, the wind would have definitely put it out. He says, it was like suddenly a sound from heaven of strong wind filled the house where they were sitting. Did you notice that? Where they were sitting. I do want to talk about it just for a little bit. I won't get off too much, but the, the very end of verse 2 mentions that they were sitting. They were not jumping up and down. They were not dancing. They were sitting. Sometimes people think you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you're jumping up and down the aisle. I'm Pentecostal. I'm Pentecostal through and through. Sometimes people think you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you're jumping up and down and making a big show. You need the holy, holy dance in order to get the Holy Spirit. But the text mentions that they were sitting. It's interesting, important to notice. Sometimes people think you need the holy jumps in order to get the Holy Spirit. And I'll be the first to say that sometimes the Holy Spirit will do things <laughs> that make you respond and react. And just like I said last week, there are times where the Holy Spirit works in our life and it's loud and it's public and there are times where it's very quiet and personable. Okay? You can't judge what the Holy Spirit's doing based upon the reaction of, of a person. Understand that. Sometimes I, I've heard it growing up in the Pentecostal circles. I really get mad when, when, when I was a missionary and I would go and, and preach and I, I, would, I had one pastor say, Justin, you just really need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, well, tell me what the Holy Spirit is. And this, this pastor told me, well, the guy that preached last week, he was full of the Holy Spirit. I said, well, what did he do? Man, he just... He went, he was so much energy up on the stage and he was, he was loud and energetic and he was charismatic. I said, okay, so that's what you think the Holy Spirit is. You want somebody loud and charismatic jumping up and down the stage. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works loud and publicly. Sometimes he works very 
quiet, and personable, okay? Know that. Now remember, I believe that the wind and the fire, they represent the presence of God. The Bible teaches that there is one God. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. I hate to call it religion, but we have one God. Not multitudes of God, but one God. The Bible teaches about the triune nature of God. I had some really good questions last week. And by the way, I love it. I love it when you engage me with questions. That means you guys are listening to the sermon. You guys are being challenged. I wanna encourage, you've got questions, you can go ahead and email. In fact, I had so many questions about the Holy Spirit that it changed my my sermon just a little bit. And I wanna get a little teachy with you because, hey, we've got some people coming into the church that is new to Christianity. And I had a lot of questions is, what's the Holy Spirit? That's a good question, isn't it? I love getting that question. What's the Holy Spirit? You keep talking about the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit the same, the same thing as God? Is he the same thing as Jesus? Good question. It's a difficult answer, but here I go. Are you ready? One God, three persons. So the doctrine of the Trinity means that there's one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Stated differently, God is one in essence and three in persons. These definitions express three cr- crucial Crucial truths, okay? Are you ready? Number one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's a person. He's given personal attributes. He exhibits personal traits. He has a personality. In fact, when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, he never says the Holy Spirit is an it or a force. He uses personal pronouns, he and him, rather than uh, that or it. So, he is a person. Number two, each person is fully God. Number three, there is only one God. So, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. The Bible speaks of the Father as God in Philippians chapter 1, 2. Speaks as Jesus as God in Titus chapter 2, 13. And it speaks uh, on the Holy Spirit as God in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. So these just three different ways of looking at God or, 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 or simple ways of referring to three different roles that God, God play because the Bible indicates that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. An example is it, this is since the Father sent the Son into the world, we read that in John three sixteen. he cannot be the same person as the Son. Also, after the Son returned to the Father in John chapter 16, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit into the world. So it's important that you understand this. The Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. In the baptism of Jesus, we see the Father speaking from heaven and the Spirit descending from heaven in the form of a dove as Jesus comes out of the water. It's found in Mark. I know I'm getting teachy, but you've got to understand this. John chapter one, verse one, it affirms that Jesus is God and at the same time that he was with God, that indicates that Jesus is a distinct person from God, the Father. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, we see that although there's this close unity between the three persons, the Holy Spirit is also distinct from the Father and the Son. And the fact that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons means this, that the Father is not the Son, The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus is God, but he is not not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but he's not the Son or the Father. They are different persons, not three different ways of looking at God. I know this is (laughs) confusing if if you're new. We believe there is one God, but that God is seen and manifested in three distinct persons, supported all throughout Scripture. 
And so when we come to verse 4, where we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and let me just stop for a minute and tell you this. The actual term baptism of the Holy Spirit is not in our text. In fact, look with me. Look at verse 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The term baptism of the Holy Spirit does not occur in the Bible at all, actually. But it's an appropriate term, and I say this because we, we can draw it from text. The, 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 word, the term Trinity doesn't occur in the Bible either. But we believe in the Trinity. So in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, we read that John the Baptist said this, and we talked about this last week, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not, even, I, I'm not worthy to untie. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. In John 1.33, again, John the Baptist is speaking. He's talking about his testimony concerning Jesus, and he says this, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John was prophesying of the one who was coming after him, one who was stronger than he was, and one who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire. And now John testifies of Jesus, declaring that he really didn't even know that Jesus was the one until he saw the Spirit of God descending and remaining upon him. He didn't even know up till that point. For the one who who sent him to baptize told him that the one upon whom he saw the Spirit descend and remain was the one that would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus gets all the disciples together and he tells them, look, don't leave Jerusalem until you have been until you have experienced the promise of the Father, right? You heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what do we learn from these verses that I just read? First of all, there's this experience that, that I think is appropriately and properly called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. John said, there is one coming after me, stronger than I am, and he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he testified that Jesus was that one. So it teaches us that baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's separate and distinct from regeneration. And again, I'm gonna stop and talk. There are theologians and and fellow ministers that I, I know love Jesus and I admire and respect that might have a different take on this. And again, that's okay. I'm teaching you what, what I believe and I'm teaching you what I believe the text teaches. I'm teaching you what the Assemblies of God believes. This is not a salvation issue. There's a lot of incredible theologians out there who believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place when, you're, when you experience regeneration. But let me, let me teach you why the Assemblies of God doesn't believe that. So after he testified that Jesus was the one, It teaches us that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is separate, distinct from regeneration. It's one thing to be born of the Spirit, and yet another thing to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, verse 22, we read that Jesus breathed on his disciples, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was at this point that the disciples did receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, I know that there are those who would object and say that the action of Jesus when he breathed on the Holy Spirit uh, or when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, was just symbolic. There are those who believe that was just a symbolic act. I would like to suggest that, that um, their declaration that it was only symbolic uh, is their interpretation of the experience. 
because they're, they're totally without scriptural warrant in making that interpretation. There's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in the text that would indicate that. When Jesus breathed on them and told them, receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's really difficult for me to believe that Jesus could breathe on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit and you not receive it. But the reason why they say it was only a, a symbolic action is because of their presupposition position, that regeneration and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are one and of, the self, uh, and of the same experience. But from the time that Jesus breathed on them, I believe the Holy Spirit indwelt them. And then we come to Acts 1-4. Jesus told his disciples that they need to, to just wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise that the Father has for them. So Jesus here speaks of and he acknowledges two different baptisms. He acknowledges the baptism with John and water and the subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit that they were to receive in just a few days. And then in verse, and I know I'm getting real teachy, but I want you to understand this. This is so crucial to our, I mean, if it was so important for the disciples to have, it's, it's very important for us to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, Paul the Apostle, he declares that we were all baptized by the Spirit into one body. Look at this verse with me real quick. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. This is baptism by one Spirit into the body. Now in that case, it's the Spirit who is the one who's baptizing you into the body of, of Christ? The Spirit. But Jesus is the one who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Those who seek to deny that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is separate from regeneration usually quote from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5, where Paul's encouraging the church, keep the unity. Keep the unity of the Spirit. For he declares, there's one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One of my favorite verses. And they, and they usually put these two passages together. One baptism found in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. When Paul's telling the Ephesians church to fight to keep the unity of the Spirit, and then he speaks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, what he's referring to uh, there is that the fact that there's only one baptism into the body of Christ. There's only one body of Christ. Now think about our church today. Now I'm not against denominations. I understand that denom- we're a part of a denomination here. And I'm not, I'm not saying that there isn't churches out there who believe doctrine that they shouldn't. And, and if it, they're not, uh, their doctrine's not based on God's word, I don't believe they're a part of the church. But there are a lot of churches that we've, we've separated and we have different doctrinal beliefs on different things, but we don't disagree on the essentials, right? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the only way to heaven. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. There are certain doctrinal beliefs that if you're gonna argue and, uh, and not believe in, that, that you're probably not a follower of Jesus. And then there are different denominations who we just differ on different things and I think it's just gonna happen, unfortunately, until we get to see Jesus face to face. But I will say this, that we need to keep the unity. We need to be the body of Christ. Uh, Even within denominations, a lot of times we'll start competing with each other, right? We're all on the same team. We're all batting for the same team. We all want the same thing, as many people to come and find Jesus as possible, right? 
And I believe that Paul was warning about some of these things that we're seeing in today's world in a sense that we've built up these denominational barriers. Each denomination kind of sort of claims its own exclusivity as far as spiritual things are concerned at least. And what I mean by that is uh, if you were baptized in this denomination, you have to be baptized again. No, there's only one baptism. (laughs) There's only one baptism. So, uh, and some churches will say, well, I know you were baptized in the Assemblies of God, but we can't accept that unless you have been baptized with our denomination. You can't really join the church, and so you're going to have to go through our classes, and then you're going to have to be baptized by our church again. So this is what I think Paul was warning about in this particular passage. He's telling us to guard against that. The fact that everybody has established their own parameters and you have to be baptized by us and into our church. Paul's saying, no, 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 there's only one body and that's the body of Christ. There's only one baptism. So do not go around and be baptized by all these different groups who require baptism, baptism by their group in order to be accepted in their fellowship. That is dividing the body of Christ and that's what Paul's speaking against. We know that there is baptism in the water and the one who baptizes you in the water, usually the pastor of the church, he's the one who's, who is baptizing and, and the water is the element of which you are being baptized. There is the baptism with the Holy Spirit and Jesus is the baptizer. John said, he, he, referring to Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the element in which you are immersed even as you have been immersed in water. So to be immersed in the Holy Spirit is the thought and the idea behind the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And again, at conversion, the Spirit baptizes us into Christ. The Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. In a subsequent and distinct experience, Christ will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse four with me again. And they were all filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what is the filling of the Spirit? What is that? What's... What is Luke talking about here? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the idea of being filled with the Spirit is the idea of being controlled by the Spirit. You may want to picture a, a, a hand in a glove. You have a, you have a glove and you, you put a hand into it. Now that glove can work because the hand behind it can move. So here you're the glove and let God put his hand in and on you and control your life where you give control completely over to the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means absolutely saturated with and under the control of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled, be filled with the Spirit. Paul contrasts being filled by the Spirit with being filled with alcohol. He's not saying that that uh, drinking is a sin here. He's saying don't get drunk, and he's just using it as an example because... In some ways, being filled with the Spirit is similar to being filled with alcohol. Because when you're filled with alcohol, everything in you is affected. How you think, how you react, how you feel. Inhibitions are removed. In the same way, being filled with the Spirit affects everything in a person's life. And we're about to see that people who are filled with the Spirit are given this supernatural and astonishing boldness. But there's a crucial difference between being filled with alcohol and being filled with the Spirit. Alcohol changes a person's perception by deadening him to reality. The spirit changes a person's perception by awakening him to reality. When we're filled with the spirit, we're not, we're not numb to the pains of the world, but our eyes are open to God's beauty and his power. Think about the Bible. When Elisha's servant's eyes were open, he didn't see a smaller Syrian army. 
But he, but he saw angels with swords and chariots of fire that, that dwarfed the Syrian force. <laughs> when Paul was filled with spirit, the pain did not go away. His eyes were open to comfort and joy greater than his pain. It's a powerful truth here. Throughout, throughout our lives, we're gonna be continually refilled with the spirit for the mission and to walk our walk with God. That's what Ephesians 5.18 is telling us. Be filled. It's a present imperative, meaning literally, be being filled, always, continually. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. The question now is, does he have you? Are you constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit? And again, it's not a one-time event. It's not like once, once, the Holy, once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's it. Mark that off your checklist. No, it's a constant thing. My, my initial baptism in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old on a Sunday night service was not the end of it, the journey. I need to be constantly filled again with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, does he have you? Are you constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit? And, and we don't need to expect rushing mighty winds or, or tongues as a fire to be present today when the Holy Spirit's poured out. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do that. <laughs> but we, just like them, can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should do what the disciples did before and during their filling with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the disciples were filled in fulfillment of a promise. It's a promise. They were filled as they received in faith. They were filled in God's timing. They were filled as they were together in unity. Can I just stop for a minute? They were filled as they were together in unity. The Holy Spirit brings unity. You know what I'm really sick and tired of? Can I just get off my notes for a little bit? People who brag about being filled with the Holy Spirit and yet cause so much disunity in the body of Christ. I don't care how much somebody speaks in tongues. If they can't bring unity in the church, I don't care if they speak in tongues, I don't care what they've done. If they are causing disunity in the church, I don't believe they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit does not come in and cause dissension. The Holy Spirit brings unity. A good sign, good evidence of somebody who is full of the Holy Spirit is someone who does not bring dissension. And let me, let me tell you something. Someone who's full of the Holy Spirit is also not a safe person for someone else to come and bring dissension. Someone who's full of the Holy Spirit is going to recognize this isn't good for the body of Christ. You need to stop. What you're saying right now is not good. It's not benefiting the body. That's someone who's full of the Holy Spirit. They were together in unity, and then the Holy Spirit fell. And they were filled in unusual ways. Man, this coming and filling of the Holy Spirit was so good. It was so essential for the work, the community of these early Christians that Jesus actually said it was better for him to leave the earth bodily so he could send the Holy Spirit. And then we get to verse five. Well, the, and they began to speak in, in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, de devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are, spe- are, not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And, and to save time, he goes through the list in, in verse, verse 10. And then again, in verse 11, and then again in verse 12, it's, it reminds them that they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Now let me say something. These were languages that were, were never taught. They spoke these languages, speaking as the Spirit gave them utterance. They're, they're speaking known languages here. Known languages. They had people from every nation under heaven. And each of these travelers heard the disciples speaking in his own language. And as a result, they were amazed. One of the reasons for being amazed is that these disciples were a bunch of Galileans. A bunch of Galileans. Everybody in Jerusalem thought of Galileans as hicks. (laughs) I can't think of a better word. They really looked at them as a bunch of country bumpkins. Hicks. They were thought of as uneducated country bumpkins. They're not only speaking other languages, but they're speaking in direct dialects of the people who have come to the Feast of Pentecost, Jewish people who were from all over the known world. And some of the the places, it's it's a three-day journey there to Jerusalem, at at least if not more. And a three-day journey or a week journey back. So they are from afar and people are going, how is it that these Galileans are speaking our language, our dialect? And I don't have time today to get into the difference between what was happening here and what Paul talks about in Corinthians, but I will later. I'm going to have to skip it today. But they're hearing their own language. And I want you to know that that still happens today. A lot of times when we experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and somebody does speak in tongues, it's a heavenly language, more what Paul is talking about in Corinthians. But this does happen today. And I've told the story of me and El Salvador, and and you have to understand your pastor's journey and his own story. Even though I was born in, in Pentecostal circles, it took me a long time to really believe this. Struggled with it. My whole life struggled with it. Even after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, always struggled, was it real? I remember in El Salvador, I was married to Liz. I had been married a, a couple years, and she, in fact, she's in El Salvador right now, and she's, I need her to come home. But <laughs> we would go to El Salvador quite a bit in, our, in the early days when we first got married. And I remember uh, praying in what they call the prayer tower. It's this ministry that prays 24-7, 24-7. Since like 1998, people have been in this place praying. Amazing things have happened. And I went up and took a shift and I was praying and I had been in El Salvador all week long. All I heard was Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish. I took it in high school, but I was terrible. I tried to order a number seven from the McDonald's menu. They brought out seven Cokes. Liz is laughing because I wouldn't let her order. I'm gonna figure this out, but I'm tired of hearing Spanish at this point. And so I'm praying in the, in the prayer fortress and all of a sudden I hear a little girl, maybe seven, eight years old, and she's praying in English, fluent English. And so I'm excited because, man, that's English. She's speaking my native tongue. There's something about hearing your native language that that resonates in your heart when it comes to praise and worship. Amen? 
And here she is, she's speaking my heart language. She's praising God in my heart language. So I just went and sat by her and prayed for a good hour probably, listening to this young girl intercede over and over for missionaries all over the world. Just, and it was amazing because Liz and I were in a place where we were deciding do we go into missions or not. It was amazing to hear this, this little girl pretty much preach to me in my native language, in English, and I'm getting ministered to by this little girl. And at the end, I tell Liz, I'm like, man, that little girl, I don't know where she's from. Liz says, oh, she's from Nicaragua. I said, man, she speak. where did she learn English? And Liz goes, I don't think she speaks English. I said, oh, she does. She speaks English very well. She even knows theological terms for crying out loud. And so Liz called her over and and uh, I just said, hey, I loved you, you praying. I want you to know you ministered to me. And she looks at me. She doesn't understand what I'm saying. And I tell Liz, I just heard her for an hour praying in English. Liz says, well, try in Spanish. So she's telling her. Finally looks at me and Liz says, no, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight. She was praying in her, in her prayer language. And I was amazed. I was, I, I was amazed. And, and, and here's the thing. <laughs> I don't know how to deny those experiences. I don't know how to deny that. I experienced it. I saw it. I've experienced healings in my own life. And, and I've experienced uh, God in his sovereignty not choosing to heal. Okay, we, 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 I have seen tumors shrivel up and die in front of my very own eyes. And then yet I saw my father die of a brain tumor. God's sovereignty. I, I, I've seen miracles, though. I, I can't stand before you and tell you that these aren't for today. I, I can't believe it because I've experienced it in my own life. Not only have I experienced it, but I believe the text teaches it, that these are for today. Man, them speaking. It, and again, going back to the whole idea that they were Galileans, it's like this. Uh, you guys know Uncle Si from Duck Dynasty? <laughs> Can you imagine Uncle Sai standing up before an embassy of all of these different uh, diplomats that speak different languages? Let's just pick Chinese because that's the hardest language to, to learn. And Uncle Sai getting up in perfect Mandarin Chinese and explaining the miracles and the amazing awesomeness. I'm going to make up a word, awesomeness of God. That's what it would be like, Uncle Sai doing that. I mean, that's what they're experiencing. These Galileans are speaking their own language. It's incredible. What, what was God teaching the church with these amazing signs? Here it is. Are you ready? The gospel is for the nations. The church needs to spread the gospel to every people, tribe, and to those of every language because that is God's plan. Revelation 5, 9 through 10 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Pentecost is a little foretaste of the global multitude that will one day unite in praise to Jesus. 
Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Luke's account of Pentecost is spotlighting the coming of kingdom of God, and the church is an outpost of the kingdom. That's amazing. Did you get that? That's what we get to do. We are an outpost of the kingdom of God. Our job as a church is to give the world a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And we can't do that without the Holy Spirit. The people of God gathered on the day of Pentecost showed the world what the the king of the kingdom was like. And they showed the world what it meant to be a citizen of heaven while living on earth. And I hope, I hope, that we aspire to show the world what the coming kingdom is like as we submit to King Jesus and to continue the mission of the church as presented in Acts and empowered by the promised Holy Spirit. I'll end with this and then we're gonna close. The story of D.L. Moody, one of my all-time favorite preachers slash evangelists slash pastors. I mean, he did it all. D.L. Moody I'm going to read his account of his baptism in the Holy Spirit. He says, I remember two holy women who used to come to my meetings. It was delightful to see them in the congregation. When I began to preach, I could tell by the expression on their face that they were praying for me. I have some of those ladies in my church too. I know what D.L. Moody's talking about. At the close of the Sunday evening service, they would say to me, we have been praying for you. I said, why don't you pray for the people? They answered, you need power. I need power, I said to myself. Why? I thought I had power. I had a large Sunday school in the largest congregation in Chicago. There were some conversions at the time, and I was, in a sense, satisfied. But right along, these two godly women kept praying for me, and their earnest talk about being anointed for special service set me thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me, and we got down on our knees. They poured out their hearts that I might receive the anointing from the Holy Spirit, and there came a great hunger into my soul. I did not know what it was. I began to pray as I never did before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. The hunger increased. I was praying all the time that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of, of which for 14 years I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I asked him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would not be placed back where I was before then blessed, before that blessed experience if you gave me a glass go. It would be as the small dust of the balance. Charles Spurgeon said this, if there was only one prayer which I might pray before I died, it would be this, Lord, send thy church men filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So the Holy Spirit then comes after us, he makes us saved. The Holy Spirit comes into us, he makes us sanctified. The Holy Spirit comes upon us to make us super charged, super anointed. Give us a boldness and a power that we don't know anything about to fulfill what he's asked us to do. And I want that, I want it, I want it. 
I want the Holy Spirit. How do I get that? You know, you know how you get that? You just ask. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, you know, if you guys being evil can give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We need the Holy Spirit. I loved what Tom had to say. I loved what he had to say. And let me tell you something. It's for everyone. And what Tom did, even in his dream, is for everyone. God has called us. He has set us apart. He has a mission for us. We cannot do it in our own strength, in our own might, or in our own power. We will only come up short. The sermons did not change. You heard D.L. Moody. I preached the same sermons the same way, and yet it was with a different power that I had never experienced. Thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Jesus. You are called, equipped, and set apart. But I'm telling you, you can't do it without the gift of the Spirit. Here's what I want to do. I know I've gone over a little bit. We're going to close in prayer. And if you have to go, that's okay. It's okay if you have to go. Don't don't feel bad if you have to be somewhere. We're going to close. We're going to officially close here. I'm going to pray. But our worship team is going to stay up. I will do an, an invite to the altar. All of my pastors who are here, I'm going to ask you to come up to the front and pray. We're available to pray with you if you need it. But remember our story we talked about today? They were all filled, and what were they doing? Sitting. Here's here's all I want us to do. I don't even want to focus on the gifts as much as I want to focus on the giver. Let the giver give the gifts as he pleases. But let's let's just ask that we would be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. Can we do that today? Can we take a few moments? Can we wait and let the Lord work? Send your Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We are so thankful for your word and its truth and its ability to change our lives. And we are thankful for the mission. We have a mission. We have a purpose. You created the church for the mission. God, I pray right now, these next few moments, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us as we ask and seek. God, we understand without you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we can't do anything. We understand that there's people outside of this church in our community who desperately need to experience the freedom and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of our Lord. So God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we could be people who go out and operate in the power of the Spirit and help bring your healing to people who desperately need it. Pour your Spirit on us. Pour your Spirit on this church Pour your spirit on this community, all the churches across the Cincinnati area today. Pour your spirit on your church. Move, God, move. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.